According to the Library of Congress, the most watched movie ever is The Wizard of Oz. A delightful tale of young Dorothy lifted from the safety of her home to a foreign and magical land where she faces the forces of good and evil and embarks on a journey along a yellow brick road. And she encounters a scarecrow, a tin man, a lion, and of course, let us not forget, she is accompanied by her little darling little dog, Toto, too. It's probably one of the best family films in history that continues to entertain, reach us emotionally, and is repeatedly watched over and over again. But this innocent children's tale derived from the novel penned by Frank Baum is anything but innocent and is actually laced with hidden meanings associated with the political strife that America was facing at the dawn of the 20th century. We're going to discuss how this story is not only one about personal and national growth, but how it relates to a particular type of regret that was influencing your ability to manage your money today on Finn Wisdom. Hello, I'm your host, Joel, and welcome to episode two of season five, where we are focusing on the misunderstood frets of regrets. Today's journey is entitled, Staying Home is Unsafe. To start, I'd like to remind Finn Wisdom listeners of why a whole season is dedicated to regrets, and that's because regrets are very powerful and emotional feelings and possibly one of the biggest influences in our decision-making today, in our planning for tomorrow. And more recently, Daniel Pink, a famous New York Times bestseller author who concentrates on social science, released a book titled The Power of Regret, and it is what prompted me to spend the whole season on the topic. So, to change our stance from a negative force versus a positive force when it comes to our financial decision-making. In this episode... We're going to get to what Mr. Pink has labeled as boldness regrets. In its simplest terms, these are regrets associated with the chance we didn't take versus the ones we did. And the ones we didn't take are more likely to weigh more heavily in our minds and our money management. That said, let's get back to the Wizard of Oz, shall we? First and foremost, when I talk about hidden meanings, I'm not talking about the urban legend, the interesting coinkadink the movie has when you overlay Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Cool. But this story that has delighted us for decades, especially in its film form, was written and pitched as a children's story, was a way of Frank Baum to convey the voice of working Americans, particularly those on the Great Plains of America. To explain this, I'll have to do a short history lesson, followed by a dissecting of the various characters in the Land of Oz. Let's start with when the book was written, which was the year 1900. And yes, I cannot believe it myself, but the story is over 122 years old. So what did America look like back then? Well, first, the West was one. What was once known as the unexplored frontier was now the continental U.S. of A, reaching from coast to coast. 
large-scale farming became profitable, and believe it or not, the U.S. at that time was the world's largest agricultural producer. We were a land of over 193,000 miles of railroad tracks and five major railroad systems. The supply of American oil seemed endless. The first gas cars were novelty since the introduction three years earlier, and the famous Model T to come eight years later. The country was now all wired up with telephones and becoming a desired household commodity for every family. And the great cities of our nation were on the cusp of growing wider and higher, and in turn spawned urban construction. During the booming growth and from a political standpoint, it was a dramatic presidential election happening. Republican McKinley represented Eastern conservative mercantile and industrial interests, whereas Democrat William Jennings Bryan stood for Western radical agrarian interests. And we know from our history books McKinley won during this period of political and economic unrest. Now I know this is quite a bit of narrative, but bear with me, because I'm about to connect the dots. Because the Wizard of Oz may on the surface be a delightful journey, and we would all agree that the moral of the story through the eyes of a child are that there's no place like home, and that you should follow your own path in life, face your fears along the way, be grateful for the life you have. Or perhaps it's to stop trying to be the person you think everyone expects you to be and simply be who you are. You can search online for many interpretations. But let's discuss what inspired the author to create a story and choose the setting and characters that he did. To begin with, Frank Baum was a huge fan of the Democratic runner for president, Mr. Bryan. You see, back then, our dollar was backed by gold reserves, literally gold. And Bryan wanted our government to replace that gold with silver, also known as the Free Silver Movement. Doing so, he believed, would inflate the prices farmers received from their crops, easing their debt burden. But alas, Brian lost the presidential election, and Baum, the author of our story, was a big backer of American farmers. A quick interjection, by the way, before I continue. I'm about to get more political, but it's from an objective standpoint, not subjective. I'm not taking a political stance, I'm merely sharing history and the associated interpretations of Baum's story at the time of its release. Here we have a story where a young girl in the safety of her home is uprooted and is forced to face many obstacles that threaten her livelihood and her future. So let's start with Dorothy. She represents the American people. The yellow brick road that's the gold standard of the time that she, the American people, are forced to follow. The Emerald Sea represents where the gold standard led to, the support of the greenbacks, or physical money. Others have also said that it represents our capital in Washington, D.C. And she wears silver slippers that represent the free silver movement mentioned just before. Yes, I know. Anyone who only knows the movie is aware that Dorothy wore ruby red slippers. Folks, they did that prop change because the movie launched the marvel of the time. Movies in Technicolor, ruby red slippers, 
definitely has more of a wow factor when you see it in color for the first time in your whole life than some drab silver slippers. It is believed that the Wicked Witches, both dead or alive, represented the evil tycoons John D. Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan and the like who had powerful interests in American politics and the profit motive that was derived from the industrial initiatives and ignore the agrarian citizens of our country. And this leads us to the Scarecrow, who is mocked by crows in feeling less intelligent as well as a sense of inferiority and self-doubt. The Scarecrow represents the American farmers and mirrors the sentiments of the farmers at that time. And the Tin Man? I've read that he represents one of the biggest political subtones in the entire story because he represents the plight of the American factory workers who worked in dehumanizing conditions, were commoditized to a living wage that did not allow anyone to make a living. And although he was once a strong and healthy individual, just like the industrial workers, he lost limbs as did real factory workers. And so he lost his heart, his love for labor. The Cowardly Lion. He represents our political icon of the time we mentioned earlier, Democrat William Jennings Bryan. In the news, he was often referred to as a lion because of the roaring crowds he achieved during assembly. But he was all roar and no claws. And the analogy was played out when the lion attempts to claw the tin man but leaves no marks or impression, a result of lacking courage. And what about the Wizard of Oz himself? The power behind the great Emerald City, again, representing our capital in Washington, D.C., he is the fraudulent illusion of the American presidency that our author Frank Baum believed at the time, fooling all the good and the bad of its power and its hope and the criticism of the monetary system. And speaking of money, at this point, you're probably thinking, well, thanks, Joelle, for the deeper learning lessons around a classic children's novel and family fave movie. But what the heck does it have to do with managing my money? And I'll answer that right after this sponsor message. You want to know what makes a great coach? It's a combination of traits that include excellent communication skills, confidence, positive attitude, empathy, and the ability to see the whole picture. It's why coaches are so good at what they do. But there is one area of expertise that even the best coaches could use some coaching of their own. In fact, adding this capability may help business exponentially and equally clients' well-being. I'm talking about improving the relationship with money and how to build money energy. And it's not just a concept, it's an actual science and can be infused into your coaching techniques. In turn, this may help make you stand out from all other coaches out there. So you're invited to participate in possibly one of the most influential webinars of your career and it's called Introducing Money Energy in Business Coaching. And whether you are a professional coach or coach to others in your own role in life, I encourage you to register for this free event. Visit dnabehavior.com to learn more. That's d-n-a-b-e-h-a-v-i-o-r.com. 
Before the quick sponsor message, I mentioned that there was a connection to the Wizard of Oz and managing your money. And it's about the concept we started with this episode, and that's boldness regret. As a reminder, and perhaps to better explain the type of regret, it's associated with all those times in your life when you tell yourself, if only I had taken the risk, if only I were more assertive, if only I had more life experiences. This is a dangerous risk in terms of your relationship with money. How? Well, many, if not all of us, have certain financial behaviors that are unhealthy, perhaps detrimental to our financial well-being. Yet we keep doing them because we are afraid to take a risk to change our fate. We get the case of the, quote, what ifs. What if I lose my money in the market? What if I lose my job? What if I don't qualify for that loan? What if I don't have enough financial education or experience? What if I can no longer pay my bills or mortgage? What if I have to move? What if I have purchased that car, that phone, that air fryer, and I end up missing the sale? Can you see the boldness regret bubbling up from these thoughts? This is more about the distress you feel as a result of inaction versus action. There also, to me, appears to be a correlation to loss aversion, which is the losses loom greater than gains in our minds, not taking a chance versus taking one. And loss aversion is one of the foundational biases of behavioral economics. You might recall we dedicated an episode to it back in Season 2, Episode 1. It was called Temper Tantrums. If you haven't listened yet, please go back and take a listen. I think you'll really enjoy it. But it's really interesting because boldness regrets seem to me to equate to how often we would rather live with the pain, or in this case the financial pain of today, than the fear of the unknown tomorrow. And going back to what ifs and our children's tale, I think now you can see the connection. Now our wonderful foursome of the path to the Emerald City sings songs that speak to if I only had a brain, a heart, a home, and the nerve. But this is why I had to dedicate so much to the underlining meaning of the character so you could see the true statements are boldness regrets in terms of the average Americans, the farmers, the industrial workers, and the politicians representing these groups during the early 20th century of not having their voices heard, choosing to feel safe in their homes. And I ask you, was Dorothy safe staying in her home when trouble was brewing? She was forced to take a journey to face those fears. And this is where the title of today's podcast comes from, Staying Home is Unsafe. It's metaphorical, though. If a tornado is coming through your neighborhood, the best place to be is in the basement or inside room without windows. I think we all have experienced times in our lives, and especially our money, that we chose to play it safe and maybe too safe. Part of these feelings may be a result of our genetic makeup, what's called our natural financial behavioral capacity. So in other words, you may just have a predisposition to react this way. But another important influencer is your learned behavior. And you have to learn it. So that takes over time. So sometimes, in hindsight, 
You may have experienced this boldness regret because it's easier to see these things today. You're looking at things in the past. And this includes how you have spent money, used money, saved money, invested money, or chose to do little with your money. Let's wrap up this discussion with a few tips right after this sponsor message. You may already know, the sponsor Fin Wisdom is DNA behavior, but one of the reasons I'm proud of that fact is anyone, and that includes you, can visit dnabehavior.com and take a free behavioral assessment to uncover your personal behavioral style. DNA Behavior is known as the Behavior and Money Insights Company for a reason. They have the science, tools, and programs to help you and your organization take quantum leaps in decision-making, talent acquisition, and enhancing your client's experience. This isn't just a pitch. It's also a sincere and genuine opportunity to learn more about yourself. So visit dnabehavior.com. That's D-N-A-B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R.com to start your own discovery of why you do what you do with your money. Learn how DNA behavior can also help improve your organization's decision-making or help add value to your own coaching practices. It's time to wrap up things with six quick tips to turn those should-have, could-have, would-haves into a positive force. Number one. Get beyond dwelling in the past. The object is to not live in the past, but learn from it. It's not what you could have done, it is what you do now. And what you do now with your money. Number two, stop beating yourself up. You're not a coward for letting your fears get the best of you. It's always easy in hindsight to say I could have more financial wellness if I took more risks in the past after you've seen what you could have not seen back then. Number three, having that little voice in you to hesitate is actually a good thing because there is a counterpart to all this when it comes to your money, and that's the behavioral risk of overconfidence. So, if you want to get over boldness risks fast, just think about what if the risks you were concerned about did happen. Which leads me to number four. Short-circuit the fears of not making a choice. I want you to think about the very worst possible scenario in your next financial decision. What are the repercussions? Are they really as detrimental as the potential gain of taking more risk? And this is not a simple black and white answer. It's more gray. And I mean more about the gray matter in your skull. One of the best starting points is to know yourself better. In one of the sponsor messages, I mentioned about understanding your behavioral style. That is a core to enabling better financial decision-making aligned to who you are. And number five, boldness regret is often aligned to feelings of anger or sadness for what we lost by not making a decision. Tweak this line of thinking. Because often you did not lose money or as wise with your monetary decisions in the past, but more likely is that you missed out on gains. I've mentioned this before elsewhere, but it doesn't hurt to mention it again now. And that's that old adage goes, 
If you missed out on planting a tree 20 years ago, the next best time to plant a tree is today. Reclaim the essence of what you have today and reassess the risks necessary to reach the desired lifestyle-sustaining income you need for tomorrow. To summarize what we discussed today, try not to regret the choices you didn't make. Rather, enjoy the journey you've taken so far on your own yellow brick road. Because just as we learned in The Wizard of Oz, in the end, We can be thankful for what money energy has given us in our lives, that we always have the opportunity to improve it. And no matter how many financial decisions you chose not to make in the past, when you think what matters most, there really is no place like home to be thankful for what we have today. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and thank you for being a loyal listener of Finn Wisdom. As a copyright reminder, written permission is required to use any of the content shared. Any views expressed are my own and are not the opinion of any entity unless otherwise mentioned during the program. And since we are critical thinking creatures, these opinions are subject to change. For financial advice, consider consulting a licensed financial professional. And make sure to watch your inbox for the next exciting episode of Finn Wisdom.